Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. I'm very happy to tell you about one of my favorite artists, Lupe Fiasco. He has a new record out. It's called Drogas Wave. It is the second independent release and seventh studio album from 12-time Grammy Award nominee. That is unbelievable. This record is a thick one because it's a conceptual album based off a story about a group of slaves that jumped off of a slave ship transporting them from Africa, but they did not drown. Instead, they lived under the sea, and then they spent the rest of their underwater existence sinking those very ships that are crossing the sea. This double album is one of his most philosophically artistic projects to date, laced with intricate production and classic Lupe wordplay. Drogas Wave is available everywhere now. I can tell you this record is awesome. Please listen to it. Trust me, okay? Now, here's the episode. Hello, everybody. How are you doing this fine afternoon, evening, or morning? I'm Ray Harkins, and you are hanging out with 100 Words or Less, the podcast talking about independent music and how exciting it is that we found this weirdo subculture and how we're still involved in it, even though we're like old. Well, maybe some of you are young. Yeah, maybe maybe you're 18 years old and you're like, you're just getting into it. And if so, that's awesome. I'm actually going to talk about that feeling in a moment, but I need to tell you about the guest this week, Paul Shirley. So uh, some of you may, he's not a household name per se, but you will love this conversation. So Paul Shirley is a writer, a journalist. He's written a couple books played in the NBA, and is a big music dude. I, uh, I We have mutual friends that kind of pointed me in the direction of him and were like, hey, you guys should talk because you, you have a very similar taste in music. And uh, I just thought the parallels between you know being kind of a, a freelance writer, which is essentially what he is now, uh, as well as a professional podcaster, because he released a great podcast, which I'll tell you about in a moment. But let's, let's talk about band merch, please. Band merch is essential to your life. I actually, I went into my chiropractor this morning and he told me, he's like, dude, you have so many shirts. Like, cause I, you know, I kind of wear a band shirt pretty much every day. And so he was like, how, well, that's ridiculous. You have so many. I'm like, I know it's amazing. And Rockabilia is the best place to get that band merch. I want to give you 15% off by using the code PC Jabberjaw. Use that and check out and get 15% off from this amazing company that has a half a million items for sale up there. Sweatshirts, hoodies, long sleeves, t-shirts, you name it, they got it. I love their customer service. They ship reasonably fast and they are reasonably priced as well in regards to the shipping because Lord knows I hate paying like $10 for shipping a t-shirt. You're like, I know how much that costs. It does not cost that much money. But Rockabilia is the best. Thank you very much for supporting this show as they always do. And PC Jabberjaw, use that 15% off, okay? Please, please, please. So like I said, Paul Shirley. Well, wait, hold on. Before I talk about Paul Shirley, I want to tell you about the feeling that I got like literally yesterday in regards to music. So 
I, follow me here. This is this is worth your while. <laughs> what I did, so I, you know, I, I follow people on Instagram, and uh, I was following the musician who is known by his band Wolf Eyes, who, you know, they're kind of like an avant-garde sort of art project band thing. Anyways, he posts extremely funny memes on Instagram because, you know, like most of people's feeds are funny memes on Instagram. But, uh, you know, his is definitely more focused on like the sort of, you know, musician, independent rock world, whatever. Anyways, so he posted something of uh, this thing called the Disintegration Tapes. And saying how it's, you know, one of the most important ambient records of our time. And it was one of those things where it was a funny meme and I laughed at it. But then in my head, I was like, yo, I don't, I don't know what the disintegration loops are. So of course I go to the internets, do a little Googling, find the records, find what he's talking about or find what the meme is talking about. And then I listen to the records and I, it's by composer named William Basinski or Basinski. I think that's how you say it. Uh, yeah, William Basinski, not Basinski, Basinski with an S, but you can find it just by Googling the disintegration loops. I, I like, I felt like a 15 year old kid tripping across hardcore for the first time. It was granted. This music is not for everybody. This is not like, Oh, here's your verse chorus. Like here's your traditional song, right? This is, you know, ambient music. And that's something frankly that I listen to a lot of because whether it's listening to like music scores or I mean, movie scores, or if it's listening to like, you know, ambient electronic music, like I love all of it. Like I listen to the Minecraft soundtrack. Okay. That just shows you where my, my head's at musically when I'm doing my work. But anyways, this is just a absolutely exquisite project. It's, you know, it could not be a more, um, beautiful representation of life and death and decay and I just, it was one of those things, like as I, the more research I did on it, the more I listened to it, I was like, oh my gosh, like I felt my head cracked open. So anyways, I tell that story to illustrate the point that I don't care how old you are or how much you think you know about music, you don't. There's always rocks you can look under and you can find something completely new, completely out of left field that you're like, hey, I should have known about this now, by now, but I didn't. And now I discover it and now it's awesome. So there you go. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about Paul though. Paul has an amazing podcast called The Stories I Tell on Dates. And you can easily find that on the internet. Please listen to it because it's a very, 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 very good show. It's funny. It's sad. It's comedic. All, all of the thing. I guess funny and comedic are the same thing. But anyways, Paul is a great storyteller. And I went over to his apartment and, uh, you know, I, I didn't know how many threads I was going to be able to pull on in regards to music. But, uh, you know, once he started dropping like Godspeed, you black emperor <laughs> and some other bands, I was like, yo, we're in, we are in. So Paul Shirley, like I said, played the NBA, has had a lot of interesting experiences. And uh, yeah, we talk about that all in this podcast. So there we go. Listen to it. And I will talk to you at the end of the episode. Okay. Bye. So it's like I got into basketball, like, you know, basically right as obviously everything started to pop off in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you you were definitely one of those players where it was like I, I became aware of where it was just like, 
oh, like, you know, people like not everybody is the A-list star. Like there's like the working class of the NBA, as it were. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where it was like and, you know, I wasn't just singularly you. But then once Mm -hmm. I started to notice where it was like, I so remember like one of my uh, I was born in Vegas. And so like Mm -hmm. UNLV was my team and Mm -hmm. seeing people like, you know. Isaiah slash J.R. Ryder, where I was just like, oh, like they're really popular for two years. And then all of a sudden, like it was hard for them to like get stuff going. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, you know, I have to believe that like you kind of what we were saying off mic, where it was like as you started to, you know, go through your trajectory of your professional career and have all these other interests mm-hmm. of being like you know, writing and all that other stuff where it was like you want I'm sure in many respects, it's like you wanted to be known Beside, like beyond just being a basketball player. Yeah, I spent uh, a lot of my college career making sure that people knew of me as a basketball player right. because I went to school on an academic scholarship. Sure. And so I was like the prototypical hardworking white kid who <laughs> yeah. is a good student and it drove me crazy, right? Because sure. like the school wanted to embrace that duality. Like, oh, here's a guy who's good at basketball, but he's also an engineer and here on a national merit scholarship. Right. But I could tell that like, there's no way I played professionally if that was the narrative all the time. Like I needed to be valued for the basketball side. So I spent like that four or five years just focusing on like, let's not talk about this nerdery, right? <laughs> I'm going to use that to my advantage, but let's not talk yeah, about yeah, it all yeah, the time. Yeah. Let's not focus and on then that. when I got out of college, then suddenly it was kind of the opposite where I spent the next 10 years trying to remind people like, oh, this isn't the totality of my existence. I think one of the truths about my life now is that because you can attach the NBA moniker to my name, it mm-hmm. just like it puts me in a certain bucket. Absolutely. Which is bizarre because I only played like 30 games in the NBA. Right. So it's, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. disingenuous to even say that I was an NBA player. Like I've been sure. introduced sometimes kind of like anybody who's been involved in porn becomes a porn star. Of course. If you've played in the NBA, you're an NBA star. And I always have to be like, oh, let's take it easy on that. Like that's <laughs> yeah. really a stretch. The only, if you really get down to it, the last time I was a star was probably high school. Right. Like cause even in college, I was just like another goodish guy on a very good basketball team. Right. So yeah, it's been, it's been, I think, odd within my own head, especially because nowadays people really want to pigeonhole people i think it, especially because Absolutely. of the internet they want a quick the quickest shortcut to who is this person right, right? what do they and do so, who is yeah like it's really easy to just say like well he played in the nba and right. then that gives you a whole illustration sure when in fact that existed for let's say let's say i played 30 games and i probably averaged five minutes a game so i played for two and a half hours in the nba <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the, all, in summation <laughs> right this is what i got yeah so like that's not exactly everything right right <laughs> It is. uh, I mean, when you when you break it down to those like simplest of terms, like it is, um, you know, it is staggering in the same way that it's like, you know, when, uh, you know, when bands go on tour, like, you know, Mm -hmm. most people, most average people that haven't experienced the kind of, you know, music life that we have Mm -hmm. think of tour as like, oh, man, it's just like super glamorous thing. It's like, really cool. Like you travel the country and it's just like, dude, it is boredom stacked on top of boredom. And you get to be active for like an hour. And it's 
not necessarily lucrative. That's no, the other thing. Right. A lot of times the touring part is like the work that allows you to go then do to make the money. Mm-hmm. Like you may not, you're not exactly seeing that money right away. It's, right. it's all a part of a giant package of we're touring, we're making albums, we're selling music to TV shows, whatever it is. Right. I've actually uh, connected really well to mus- musicians over the years and have a lot of friends. I've even dated people, I think specifically because we had this shared experience that mm-hmm. was something that other people didn't understand. So it seemed on the outside to be really glamorous, but we knew it to be something other than that. Right. There was, of course, some glamour involved, of right? Course. Like it's it's exciting and there you, you can't really replace the adrenaline of playing in front of 15,000 people, whether that's sports or in a band. Mm-hmm. But everything that goes into that or, or leads up to that is true drudgery. Right. And what I also think people don't know is that you spend all of your time trying to make it so it looks easy when you're doing the performing. Mm-hmm. But in order to get to that point, there's a lot of failures and screw ups. Right. But your job truly is to make it look effortless. Totally. Right. And I think that's what is confusing to people because it looks effortless when you're performing it, whether it's sports or music. Right. And then they can't see that there's all of these <laughs> failures. Totally. That led to that. Right. It, that obviously had is sh- not only shielded from the public eye, but mm-hmm. shielded from the fact where it's just like, well, yeah, a lot of this, like, you know, I've just been able to mitigate because people either weren't paying attention to me, like when I was, you know, terrible in junior right. high or right. whatever. Yeah. And like, cause yeah, most people are, aren't looking at their first, you know, their first couple of basketball games or their first, band experience is being like man that demo i cut when i was a freshman is sick like yeah i would actually argue that now bands put out too much music in that they're always like releasing all like if you go on spotify and you see someone's entire catalog and spotify includes all of these like everything outtakes and it kind of like ruins the magic i think there there's import to the magic of it sure we need to think that these people are infallible and when you start to see like, oh, wow, that they really missed that symbol right. uh, <laughs> yeah, on that, that one demo. Like, right. That, and that took me completely out of it. I don't know that I need that. Right. Totally. And yeah, the, 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 uh, you know, scraping of the bottom of the barrel for, I mean, especially these like legacy artists where it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, there are people who's obviously their sole job is to look back in people's archives and be like, what can we package together now? Right. And like, what, what, do we, do we have anything kicking around there? <laughs> I wish I, is there, I don't even know. Is there on Spotify an option to just like remove all of that? The <laughs> sure. garbage. Yeah. The from, right. yeah, yeah. Like I don't need, like if I, I, like there are times that's what I really value about my own like curated iTunes is right. that I have figured out these are the albums I need. It's often true that I don't need all 12 of a band's albums. No, I need, by the charlatans uk i need like four albums totally i mean they're a great band but like four albums is plenty i don't need everything they've ever done and i've figured out these are the four albums that i need that they're most meaningful and then so it's kind of nice to know like well if i go to that if i go to the charlatans i can pick one of these albums and i know where i'm going with that right yeah as opposed to just like you know like i mean i've I've used this euphemism before but it's just like drinking from a fire hose you're just like you know whatever 14 Mm -hmm. year old you getting into the charlatans like and you look at 12 records you're just like how where do we even begin i know yeah if you pick the wrong record then that that sours the band for the entirety of your life well i also think that i don't know what it is maybe it's because it's become 
cheaper to record and mm-hmm. easier to stay in touch with your diehard fans. There are a lot of bands who have stayed together who probably shouldn't have or wouldn't have Absolutely. 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and they're able, like I was, the Charlatans is a great example. I was looking them up the other day to play mm-hmm. something at writer's block, this workshop thing I run. And sure. Um, I was like, there are more albums than like, I thought they stopped yeah, did 15 you put years ago. What, years what are ago? you guys yeah. doing? Right. Like, and, and I don't begrudge them that cause it's not no. like the charlatans should stop. Sure. However, some of those bands have to stop. Like it's just, it's impossible for everyone to stick around and for there to be new bands. That totally. Come around. And I, th- I mean, honestly, the only reason I think that band bands of that nature do stick around or like you said, the fact that, you know, nostalgia is a, a extremely powerful mm-hmm. now more than ever because right. there's so much ease of access to uh, these bands or these artists or whatever. But then the fact that there's also still money like dude. Yeah. Two weeks ago, like this is going to sound insane, but like I saw the gin blossoms in 2018 in Orange County at $45 ticket. What? And it was like, I, I fortunately knew a person to get me into the show. Cause I was like, there's no mm-hmm. way that I can feel good about spending $45 in the gin blossoms. Right. But it was so it trans, it was just such a transfixing experience because there, here's all these people who were like, you know, whatever I'm 37 and I was by far the youngest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I was like, yeah, I know Jim Blossoms were around like in the early nineties, like when I was like 11 or 12 and yeah, that was a little young, but like right. it just blew my mind. But I, I was just thinking about it in those terms where I'm like, oh yeah, like the reason they're doing this is because they're getting, I mean, they're probably walking away with like 50 grand that night. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that's, I have a, a friend who manages a couple of, or not tour manages a couple of bands sure. and they're not necessarily nostalgia acts, but they're of that kind of same era. Right. And he talks all the time about, especially with festivals. Sure. The, or like fair day yeah. for these festivals <laughs> right. is enormous. And the band's like, well, we'll rehearse for two weeks. If we're going to get $150,000, like right. why wouldn't we? Yeah, we could, we could spread that. And I think what's frustrating about that is that it does keep new bands from having that opportunity, Absolutely. right? Like there's no way to regulate that. You no, can't be no, like, right. like, well, uh, sorry. Yeah. One for one. We yeah. got to trade you the old one out, but for it the does, it does get, I think, I think it could be contributing to my sense of malaise when it comes to new bands that I'm excited about, because it seems like festivals, especially oh, yeah. know that like, we got to keep people happy and the way to keep them happy is either through nostalgia or through like, electronic music sure. slash hip hop that like is of the moment, but it's not necessarily hot something new thing, right, that I'm right. going to connect with. By the way, I wanted to mention that when I was playing for the Phoenix Suns, which mostly means I was watching the Phoenix Suns, <laughs> sure. the uh, Gin Blossoms did the national anthem. They're from Phoenix. They are. Right? And I love New Miserable Experience. Like, like, unbelievable I think record. such a great album. Totally. And had no idea that they were from Phoenix. I think that would have influenced my liking of them because that album sounds like it was recorded in like new england or yeah, something because yeah. they're like driving around town and it seems like totally not a scene it doesn't quite resonate right but anyway um i is this is like emblematic of what it was like to be me in the moment where <laughs> after the the anthem you know i looked around I'm like oh shit i can just go say hi to the gin blossoms right so i roll over <laughs> like in my warm-up as everybody's going to the benches and i'm like hey guys i gotta tell you like i've just i've always been such a fan of your uh-huh. stuff and it's really cool that you were here and that you played the anthem. And to me, I'm kind of having a fanboy moment. But the Gin Blossoms don't know that I'm just a bench warmer. They're right. like, one of the Phoenix Suns <laughs> loves us. Dude, you're like, this is so sick. We just thought we were doing this dumb gig. Right, I mean, right. not dumb, but like yeah. kind of a weird vibe. So it, that, I always had that moment where I... <laughs> Like, I always want to, like, sort of undercut it and be like, guys, look, nah, yeah, I'm not, not that big of a deal. I'm not right. Steve Nash. Right. But then you're like, well, but that almost robs them of the experience. So I'll just 
Like, yeah, you just act yeah. like a normal human. Cool. Right. Cool. Yeah, cool, man. I'm glad you're stoked on that. Yeah. That actually that dovetails nicely into two things I was going to ask you. Um, one of them was the fact, like, you've throughout your, you know, your writing career, from what I've noticed and the stuff that I've consumed of yours, is like you, and especially the way that you, you, know, you describe your career as far as basketball is concerned, mm-hmm. always self-deprecating. Like, mm-hmm. you feel comfortable in that space. Right. And, it, you know, do you... It, two things that I've noticed about people that do that one, it's either like a sort of self-defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. Um, and, or the other one is like, Oh, that's just always the way that I've known how to exist within my family structure, like, or whatever. Right. What is it kind of a mixture of both for you or which? Well, so I think in the Midwest where I grew up, um, self-deprecation and or humility is actually seen as confidence. Okay. So if you are willing to make fun of yourself or sort of poo-poo your accomplishments, that usually means that that person is better than they're letting on. Okay. So I think it's something to aspire to. So like I look at it as I am confident enough or comfortable enough with how good I was as a basketball player, which is really, really good. Sure. To like really good. Right. Uh, to know that like most reasonable people understand that like by being self-deprecating, I'm aware that I was good, but I don't need to hold it over your head. Right. right? Now I think that gets, that has gotten a little screwed up because I live in Los Angeles where the opposite of is valued. So it's mostly about like telling people all of the things that you are doing or are going to do. Right. And knowing that a lot of those are never going to come true. (laughs) Uh, so that it kind of haunts me here and it has uh-huh. haunted me a little bit in popular culture because I'm like so, I think, realistic about mm-hmm. the way that, you know, my career has unfolded. And that can sometimes give people who are of a different value system right. the in to then smash you. Sure. You know? So I think it has, I think it's just the way that I am and, it, and sure. it's the way that my family works and all of that. But um, it doesn't necessarily serve me all that well sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense what you're talking about, just the, the, the structure of it. And yeah, there definitely is that that notion of people that are raised in the Midwest where it's just like, like I appreciate the compliment, but I don't need it. Like, or right, not, right. not like I don't need it, like I you're not valuable to give it to me, but like, mm-hmm. uh, it, there's, there's, there's like five other people that are like way cooler than me or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think what's tricky about it, I one time I just like destroyed someone that I had kind of known vaguely mm. for saying that like somebody was even worse than I was as a basketball player, like okay. using me as sort of a totem. Sure. And I was like, nah, nah, that doesn't work. Like, like you, I can do it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot like any of these things, right? You can make fun of yourself, but sure. somebody else. No, <laughs> that's a, there's a, yeah, there's a hard line in the same. Right. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. And I, I think that was interesting an interesting experience because I guess on some level that may be insecurity mm-hmm. that's coming out, but I think that's just also the same ego that allowed me to get really good at basketball means that I can take down that ego, but I'm not sure I'm willing to let someone else do yeah, it. Of course. You know well, yeah, I mean? you're always going to be protective over that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, I think that's, it, for better or for worse, when you're in a creative or athletic pursuit, you're, you're probably slightly thin-skinned, and you've but you've learned how to Mask manage that. that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so one of the times that that comes up is if people do say, like, you're not good at that, then you're like, oh, <laughs> you're oh like, really? really? Yeah, oh, okay. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more from Let's your perch. Where we go. Right. <laughs> Um, so the, you know, I mean, uh, there's a lot of notes that I, I don't plan on hitting in regards to your basketball career and stuff like that, because obviously you've gone over it, you know, either yourself or many other places, but the, 
you know, from what I've noticed, uh, in my experience, you know, like whenever I played high school basketball and then, you know, you run into the wall of just like, Oh yeah, like I'm not that good compared to other people. Mm -hmm. The, but you're tall, you're tall, you're six foot 10. Right. I presume that there was like a implication of like, Oh, you're tall. So like you should of course play basketball. Or was that okay? Yeah. Uh, so I, my first love was baseball. I was a really good, like little league baseball player. And if you had asked me when I was 11, Mm -hmm. what I was going to do when I grew up, I would have said, I'm going to be a professional baseball player. Got it. And at the time, I think if I would never have said that out loud, but it wasn't unrealistic. Like there's, I think we don't give kids enough credit for understanding their own aptitudes. Sure. So I could just tell like that things having to do with coordination just worked out way better for me than for most people. And that was true of my brothers too. Like I, my, all of my brothers played college basketball. And so we were just, you had, it was just like in our little, the, the two acres, the Shirley non ranch, it was just, ball game after ball game, whatever we were doing, you know, we were like, Oh, let's just teach ourselves how to play tennis. Okay. We'll let's use do it. Ring up two uh, <laughs> saw horses and a two by four and we'll learn. Sure. Um, and then, so my dad was way into teaching us baseball and we didn't necessarily love that cause he wasn't a great teacher. So sure. I found basketball as a kind of rebellion to that and noticed that basketball was something I could do by myself. Like it, I didn't need a whole bunch of other people totally. around. I could just be great outside, solitary sport shooting. And then that meant that it was kind of a break from school or whatever else where I didn't need to talk other people into playing it with me. Right. Uh, and then similarly, like by, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, I was the best ball handler and player on the team, but I was little, I was a point guard okay. on those teams. And so for the, those not familiar with basketball, that's the guy who brings the ball up the court. Um, and, when I was 14 years old, my first driver's license, because in Kansas you can get a driver's license. At a very young age, yeah. Uh, it was actually a learner's permit, but I vividly remember that I was 5'11 and I weighed 120 pounds. Yeah. Which sopping, is great. Sopping wet, right? Yeah. If you're a supermodel, that is the right size to Perfect. be. Perfect. But that is not the size of a future NBA basketball player. No. Um, and so slowly through high school, just continued to grow. However, like I could tell even as a like sophomore in high school when I was 6'4 and weighed 160 pounds. Right. This thing just makes more sense to me than most things. And I say that not to be arrogant, but again, to say that like I could tell like this mm-hmm. thing, it just works differently for me, which I think sure. is true about musicians, about artists, Absolutely. all of those things. And so then I fortunately grew to be six foot nine or 10 or whatever you want to say. Right. Um, but there's a part of me that believes and has to believe that even if I had stopped at six, five, I still would have made it. Sure. That, yeah. That you, that, you like, didn't add those six yeah, other inches. Sure. I, I don't, I don't know that it's untrue. You know, like mm-hmm. there are plenty of guys who are six, five and figure like I was actually, again, I was a guard most of my youth. Right. Um, so I think I really do think like I would have figured it out one way or the other. Sure. And so it is strange being six foot nine. And then when I, when people are out in the world, they're like, Oh, you must play basketball. And you're like, yeah, for the NBA, I was the average. Right, totally. Yeah. I, so I was, I was six foot nine, and I was actually undersized <laughs> right. weight-wise. I, like, weighed too little, even compared to the average. I was mm-hmm. around guys who were, you know, I first training camp was with the Lakers. Shaquille O'Neal weighs, like, <laughs> yeah. 50% more than me. You're he's totally. 330 pounds, and he's seven foot two. Now, that's tall. Yeah. So when people come up to me, and they're like, you're so tall. You're the tallest person I've ever seen. I'm like, no, 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 no I'm no. not. You just haven't seen another you tall person. Seen, yeah. You just haven't like thought right. about it. Right. Totally. Yeah. It hasn't been literally right in front of you. Yeah. You're doing hyperbole like we all do right now. You're, yeah. you're saying this thing that is not true. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, it is. I mean, it, it like, that's another one of those things where 
I think one's ego comes into play a little bit. Yeah. As we age, we get better at distancing ourselves from that. But mm-hmm. um, for me, it, it, it does always happen where people are like, oh, you're tall. You must have played basketball. I bet that was lucky for you. And you're like, well, well I don't know. I think I would have I used my time because that's the other thing we forget. Like as you age, you funnel yourself into like what's working. Uh, well, yeah. Right. And what's important. To you. And yeah. so like I think people think of it as like, well, he's this tall. And so he did that. Mm-hmm. Or they might think like, I don't think they would think of this as with musicians as much, mm-hmm. but it's kind of the same. Like the musician realizes like, Oh, I'm good at this thing. Sure. Let's devote some resources to this. Yep. In that case, it doesn't necessarily matter what your stature is as much unless totally. you're going to be a drummer and you should probably not be six foot nine. Cause yeah, yeah. No it's a rough, like, rough it's yeah. a rough life. No <laughs> way to keep it all tight. Um, but I think, like, again, we should just remember that, like, kids know, like, how and why things are working. Right. And we kind of got to be like, yeah, you sort of understand. What? Are you telling me that YouTube has a music thing going on? So trust me, you have absolutely found yourself diving down a rabbit hole in YouTube. There's so much music to discover there. You can spend hours and hours exploring new songs and artists. And now there's an app to make it so much easier. YouTube Music is a brand new music streaming service, combining everything you love from that streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring it all to life. They make it easy to find the music you're looking for, official albums, singles, music videos, live performances, and even covers and remixes. You don't know the song's name? Just search by the lyrics. It's that easy. The app gives you recommendations based on taste, location, and time of day. You can easily find the music trending around you no matter where you are. And with YouTube Music Premium, it's even better. Get that ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while using other apps. Finally, I'm so happy about that. Enjoy your music wherever you want it, even when you're offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. That's music for $10 a month or $9.99. Terms and restrictions apply, of course, but YouTube Music, it's all here. I love this app so much. It's amazing. It's changed the way that I listen to music on the go or at home, okay? So dive in and love it, okay? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of on that what you're talking about of the the fact that as you start to like find stuff that you're actually into, you know, mm-hmm. when you're in high school and like, right. music and sports, and you just start to and and plus you feel like that sort of stuff you actually have some sort of ownership over, you know, because right, right, it's yeah. like that. You, so many things are their choices are made for you. But, yeah, I think it's an interesting alchemy thinking about parents pushing their kids to certain things and for some certain people that actually works out yeah and for others it does not um i think we were fortunate growing up to be exposed to a ton of things and were able to quickly see things that didn't right. work like yeah, yeah, this yeah. piano thing ain't right <laughs> gonna cut it like, i just don't get it <laughs> right I, right I could figure out how to play black bear stomp and still can but that's it yeah yeah, yeah. that's that, that that is the the start and the end of my right, piano career right. yeah and so yeah i think we i think we tend to think kids are being like obstinate mm-hmm. and sometimes they probably are but sure. a lot of times like they just kind of understand like yeah this uh this, this guitar works yeah i know yeah. why this works right exactly um and so i'm going to uh I mean, I'm going to guess that, I mean, you probably grew up in a musical-ish household, but like, when did you start to feel sort of authorship over like, you know, your own music tastes where you started to get into stuff that obviously like either your brothers or your friends weren't into Mm -hmm. and the stuff that's, you know, a little left of center. I think it was, um, actually when I got out of college that I really started to embrace it because I had time. So I was living in Greece and, um, I think it, 
I think at the time Audio Galaxy had started to come around. Yeah, yeah. This is post Napster. Sure, sure. And I remember for whatever reason that for once in my life I actually had enough like disposable time. Right. Where I and I was lonely, right? Because I was in Greece. I was one of two Americans on the team. Didn't know really anybody else in the city. And sure. so I think because of that loneliness connected to writing and to music. So writing was like my catharsis and then music became a thing that was constant wherever mm-hmm. I went. So wherever I would go from there on out, I was carrying, you know, a bag of clothes and then one bag of just CDs. Sure. Do you have the like the, the massive the, CD binder? Oh, yeah. I had like five of those because I that was the that. only continuity <laughs> yeah, I had where, right. you know, like. When I look back now, probably because of the way that other people, when I'm talking about my career, it's hard for them to see or to know like how much of a mercenary I was. Sure. In reality, I was for the first couple of years, you know, my home base was my parents' basement. Totally. And a team would call. Like, where do you want up two duffel bags, including said CD binders, and then just go Mm -hmm. to Yakima, Washington, not knowing like who's there, what's going to be there when I get there, like how long I'll be there, (laughs) etc. And so music became that sense of continuity that I could find like, okay, well I can always tap into Godspeed you black emperor to like mm-hmm. make things feel okay. Right? right. Or I can always listen that was your to your anchor. Yeah. yeah. I can always listen to deft tones if I'm sad after a game. Sure. Uh, and then that I think just like blossomed from there because again, I had time to think Did- about those things or to like investigate. Yeah. Music. Do deep dives. Right. Right. Which they- I think is vital. Cause like, the reality is, as we age, we all see this, that you just, you, if you run out of time, then you start, one of, that's one of the things that goes, is like your ability to discover new music. Absolutely. Well, I think the study uh, that Spotify did a couple of years ago, where they said, I think it was either 32 or 33, that's mm-hmm. when people stop, from an empirical data perspective, Oh yeah. that they're like, okay, yes, this is the age that people are, ba- are basically like, I got everything I need. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, I don't really need to add like you know those other records from other new either uh, you know the bands that they've enjoyed or right. new bands or whatever. Yeah, it's 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 a weird downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Forgive the reference uh, because <laughs> it's you're doubling up on decreased time. Yep, like you said, decreased need for newness. Sure, right? Because like as I, I say this all the time to people, where you're like. I think I already heard that when Candlebox did it. And when <laughs> Candlebox did it, some people had already heard it when yeah. Nirvana had done it. And totally. like, so you can only hit that receptor so many times before right. you, and then you start to sound like an old man because you're like, well, I liked it yeah. better. Right. Their demo was when sick, but yeah. <laughs> Soundgarden <laughs> song. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> there definitely is that that notion of just like, yeah, the, the, the feeling you can never replicate of the, you know, whatever, the first band that you either see or, or mm-hmm. get that receptor hit. And then the, you know, second and third generations of it can still be vital, but right. it's not going to hit you in the same way. Yeah, there, I, I wrote a piece once for Playboy, actually, about, um, I had read this, I think, on Slate, the fact that, like, the, the question was, why do we seem to connect to the music of our teenage years and in, in reality it's because of hormones because yeah. everything's firing and the roller coaster is so high and so low sure you are then more emotionally engaged because it just feels more important right yep and so that also informs the sort of taste you have so like whatever was big in that era then tends to be the sort of music that you're always searching for totally and then i posited that that might mean that some people truly do have better music taste Based on, on the when era. Yeah. So like, yeah. I think it's, I don't know if this is, it's definitely arguable. <laughs> yeah. 
But there seem to have been some pretty great times uh, in music history and some other times that were like a little softer. Of course. Where if you're like, if you were a teenager between 1978 and 1983, like, I'm sorry, your yeah, music yeah. taste isn't as good. Totally. Like, should the people be like, well, there were great bands then. You're like, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. I'm talking about generalizations here. Like, totally. There yeah, were yeah. some, right. but there weren't as many. Right. Not as great as if you had been, bo- if you were a teenager between 1967 and 1972. Yeah. You're unimpeachable. Uh, yeah. Like, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I, and I, I argue that like, if you came of age between about 91 and 97, mm-hmm pretty good era totally great era great like transmogrification of like metals going out grunge is coming in totally hip-hop's becoming mainstream like yep it also happens to be when i was a teenager so were you so it's uh, (laughs) really it's it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy (laughs) totally you're like well yeah ultimately the empirical evidence that i'm trying to uh present is the fact that like i am you should listen to me But yeah, there, there definitely is that that notion of once you start to, I, I think the, the the thread that I wanted to pull in there was the fact that you, because most people, they, you know, they, they get their, you know, bands and then that's kind of where it ends, mm-hmm. you know, but then there are people that have that itch, like you're saying, it's like, you know, whatever, dropping a Godspeed You Black Emperor, like, you know, that, that, that takes effort to not only get into musically, because that's not easy <laughs> listening for most right, people, right. Um, but then also the fact that you have to. Uh, identify with uh, the fact that it's just like, oh yeah, here's this weird like instrumental anti-capitalist band from Montreal. Like, <laughs> and most people you would like, if you try to do like a byline for your average music listener, they'll be mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Right. What are these words? There, right? Yeah, I know. I've heard them separate. Right. Um, well, that's. I, I think like whether I had been a basketball player or not, just the fact that I had to travel a ton probably helped because then you're just left with all this time right. when you need something to do. Sure. That isn't doing something. Right, right, right. So, right. like, you can be listening to music while you're going to the airport or you're sitting on a bus with your Russian teammates who you can't speak to. Sure. Um, you might as well be listening to music. Whereas now, because much of our lives is taken up with, like, business or creative pursuits or mm-hmm. families or whatever, there's just less of that actual sort of, not necessarily dead time, but in-between time. Sure, totally. Yeah, yeah. Where you can you can theorize these things and be like, I wonder if these guys are doing like other bands or whatever. Right, yeah. Right, and then yeah. you start to, yeah, which is so fun, right? Like I yeah. remember I got into, um, the band failure. Oh, of course. Like Ken, Ken Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, Oh shit, he's got all these other, like four other side projects. Totally. Now this whole world is like opening up to me yep. that I would not have known or would never have discovered mm-hmm. if I hadn't found this one linchpin. Right. Yeah. And then how you can also like, I got into failure via, there's that band cave in. Oh yeah. So like Caven did a failure cover. And so it's uh, like I was like, oh, and then I listened to the failure and I was like, oh, so this is why Caven sounds like what they do. And right, so it's right. like you have all of these sort of, you know, these nuggets spread across all of these bands that can just mm-hmm. kind of be like, oh yeah, we'll sprinkle this here. Like you can dive back and you'll still and you right. listen to it, you'll be like, as long as it's recorded appropriately. You'll be like, mm-hmm. Oh yes, I see what you're going right, for. Right, right. <laughs> there's uh there's a great a perfect circle cover of a failure song. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so like again you start to when you start to learn the genealogy of is I assume it's kind of like if you're a super fan of the Los Angeles Rams totally. and you're able to talk about like, well, within context, like this guy being so good right. is fun because he <laughs> used to have this other guy who, who was terrible. Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that those things become important for the story. Yep. And if you start to drop out of paying attention to music or of mm-hmm. discovering music, it's just really hard to pick that back up. Oh yeah, totally. And I mean, fortunately, I mean, I think we do live in an era where it is easier to kind of dive into. And mm-hmm. then <clears throat> especially when you can look at other people who can help 
be sort of that, you know, proverbial independent record store employee, you know, cause like everyone wants that, that guidepost where you walk into a record store and the guy's like, here's these five records. It'll change your life. Dude, Yeah. I've had that happen to me so many times and have it be pretty transformative where mm-hmm. like it opens you up to, and it does, it is a little saddening <clears throat> that we don't actually have that guy. Yeah. So I mean, we have it online. Right. Right. But it's not quite the same. It's a math equation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Somebody <laughs> just saying like, I remember discovering this band called Idiot Pilot. I totally remember that band. Oh, yeah, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were opening for a Deftone side project called Team Sleep. Of course. In Lawrence, Kansas. And I was like going to that show that night and I happened to be in some music store. Was it at the Bottleneck? I, it was. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Played there before. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and played the, uh, great the Granada Theater that was also there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Both great venues. Great places yeah, to yeah. see shows. Well, uh, anytime you have a college town. Yeah. That, and it's like, because I just so remember, I mean, because like Lawrence, Kansas, that's where like Get Up Kids and all those bands were from. Mm-hmm. And so it was always weird because it was like, most people would just be like, why the hell are you playing Lawrence, Kansas? It's like, cause it's attached to a college and there are young people there. Like right. why would there not be music venues? And it's like, yeah. And it has such a great history too. Totally. Like they, the bottleneck, I think especially was known for booking a lot of those grunge bands before they got big. Absolutely. And like had a lot of foresight as far as totally. Was cause that, that was, that was the touring circuit where yeah, it's just yeah. like, Oh yeah, yeah. Like well, you, you play the bottleneck. Yeah. That's one of the great things about, I lived in, Kansas City for a long time when my career was done and right. I would make this case that like Kansas City was one of the best places to see live music because it was on the way to other places. So like if you're going Minneapolis to Dallas, you might as well stop in Kansas Gotta City hit it up. Yeah, or yeah. Lawrence. Right. And same for Denver to St. Louis. So you, again, you might as well stop in Kansas City or Lawrence. Totally. But there's not as savvy a crowd there. So you get to go to a lot of shows mm-hmm. that you might not be able to get tickets to otherwise. Of course. And so that meant I was seeing bands where like I, I wrote this piece one time about the band Mike Snow mm-hmm. two or two eyes. Yep. I was at the time dating a musician actually who lived in Brooklyn. And so I was splitting time between Kansas city and Brooklyn and in Brooklyn, they played terminal five and it had been huge, huge room. Right, right, right. You know, (laughs) six weeks or something. In Kansas city. I saw them at the record bar, which is about as big as my apartment. And I was able to just like walk up and buy a day of, right. right? You know, (laughs) no problem. So like for, for certain things, it's not necessarily better to live in those big cities. It's not. Especially now that you have access to all of this information. You can find out. If you're just like, well, the record bar usually puts on good shows, so I'll just go to whatever shows happen there. Totally. Here's the show calendar for the month. Let's check it out. Just keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. No, I argue, I argue, especially for, for most artists and bands of a certain level, um, your, you know, they call them secondary and tertiary markets. Right. Those are the best shows because if one of two things is happening, one, the, the reason that this venue exists is because there is a solid group of people that come to the show right. or you're playing, you know, random town in Indiana mm-hmm. where the, you know, 14 to 18 year olds have nothing to do. Right. And then this band shows up and they're like, of course I'll show up to, you know, 300 kids will show up to a gym on a Thursday. Yeah. What? Why the- wouldn't we? What else <laughs> are we going to do? That's, I saw uh, Chris Cornell play solo in Salina, Kansas one time. <laughs> there you go. And <laughs> a, it was amazing. Sure. And I had no idea he was such a like genuine dude. Cause like, I didn't really, yeah, you knew that you knew what, uh, yeah. He had like come slightly before my time. And sure. Like, I really saw them live. Right. Um, and like you're saying, there were, I don't know, 2,500 people at the, <laughs> I think it's called the Stifle, Stifle Theater okay. in Salina, Kansas, because they're like, yeah, of course we're going to go see Chris Cornell. Right. Like, well, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, who's coming through here, right? Three <laughs> hours around us. <laughs> totally. And yeah, it, it means that like, it's, it's a little bit 
similar to when I played basketball in Yakima, Washington, mm-hmm. which led the CBA in attendance. Of course. In Yakima, Washington. What are you going to do? So right. you might as well watch the Yakima Sun Kings. Right. Dude, that, and that, and it's funny because then the people that attend the Yakima Sun Kings games, like mm-hmm. will generationally care about that team. Right. And I think pro sports teams screw that up often. Often. You know, like think of the Green Bay Packers. Right? Mm-hmm. That, Green Bay is really not very big. It's like 100,000 people. Totally. Like but everyone is on the team on that. Yeah, yeah everybody's right. paying attention. Right. Um, and so I think like sometimes you can get lost when you are. And I, and I think uh, tour managers also forget that. Like mm-hmm. why would you not, if you're coming to L.A., why are you not also playing Bakersfield and oh. making sure that there's a show of course. on the west side of L.A. or Totally. Like, playing Orange County and playing San Diego. Right, right. Right. It's kind of odd to me that like you'll we'll, we'll play one show in uh, Kansas City and mm-hmm. one show in all of Southern California. Right. What, what are you doing? You're missing, you're missing a lot of it. And like it's not like every show is going to be good there. But like right. you can find pockets. Yeah. You can play Austin. Right. Calm, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um I, it, most especially when you're talking about like basketball in general as far as music taste is concerned mm-hmm. you know from the moment that i started paying attention to basketball obviously like hip-hop has been the like number one of the bullet right and you know i'm going to imagine that most people that like come in with a music taste like yours who it's mm-hmm. like you know a little left of center where it's just like you know it's it's not like you're gonna put you know god i'm just gonna pick on godspeed you black emperor at practice or anything because that's right. clearly a bad yeah. vibe there but uh, you know, I, I presume that the in the same way that like, you know, you start to work a new job mm-hmm. and there are other people who are just like, oh, yeah, that guy's the music guy or whatever there, right, you know, like right, that. Talk to yeah. that guy about alternative music or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, like, did you find kind of pockets of people, you know, in the, you know, not only in the NBA, but then as you were traveling around in different, I mean, granted, you're in different countries, so that's a whole different ballgame. But like, right. did you find this pockets of people who are like. Uh, never between okay. a basketball team. <laughs> That's like, what I thought. Not a single time okay. uh, could I talk about music with a basketball teammate. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, culturally, it's pretty different. White kid from Kansas versus Absolutely. Quentin Richardson from right. Chicago. Like, that's not, we don't have a lot in common musically. No. Uh, I think you could also dive into, like... So my brother has this great theory about what makes a good dance song. Okay. It's like if you are going to dance to something, it needs to not just be straight ahead. Like mm-hmm. One, two, three, four. It needs to have a hitch in it, right? And sure. So like hip hop dance music also has kind of a hitch in it. Sure, times, right? sure. And basketball is kind of like, like the rhythm of basketball is not one, two, three, four. There's also sort of a, a like hitch in how it works. Mm-hmm. So there's something about hip hop, especially like kind of dancier dirtier hip hop mm-hmm. that l- lends itself to the way basketball is actually played. Sure. The soundtrack of it, like it, yeah. it meshes well. So it's not just that it's black culture and now it's hip hop. It actually, I think like informs the way that basketball moves. Like, right. If you think about the way that you, like if, if I start thinking about basketball, it's not straight ahead like soccer. It's all like jukes and jives and fakes and all of that. Absolutely. So I kind of wonder if also it just me, it needs that kind of soundtrack. And so the sorts of music that people are listening to before the game and during the game is mm-hmm. just going to be different from the gin blossoms. Yeah, of course. Right, right. Now, that's not that that I'd never really I mean, I listened to some hip hop because it would be impossible for it to have not pervaded. Absolutely. For sure. But I also was around it so much that it would drive me crazy. Sure. I needed to go listen to the gin blossoms. Right. So you I need. Never, like, right. You're like, I got to have a palate cleanser. All right, yeah. I gotta, Can I still have a guitar go, in it? Yeah. Where's my tool now? I got to <laughs> go back to that. Yeah, totally. Because that, that's it. It is always interesting when you, you know, you get put into different, you know, social situations and then you, you start to you, you realize like 
your depth of nerdery. Like mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, this trumps most people. Like, and I, I you're like, yeah. I can't, I can't go in well, deep with and you. also like basketball, a lot of basketball players are not, they almost kind of uncomplicate themselves on purpose because I think in sports, you mostly want to be thinking about like, am I concentrated for this amount of time? Right. The rest of the time I need to be relaxed and not. And so some guys kind of find that naturally. And that's why they play a lot of Madden and they smoke a lot of weed. True. And they kind of listen to the same music they've always listened to because it doesn't necessarily behoove you to be using your brain all the time. Right, to be you challenged. Kinda, yeah, 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 for sure. You kind of want to just be checked out. Um, and so I was a little different and maybe to my own, probably to my own detriment. Like I was always thinking and always like processing. And so I needed more and more complicated, heavier music a lot of the time to right. make myself stop thinking. Right. And so that meant like listening to a lot of just much harder music than they were listening to. Right. You know? Like they're not going to be so into kill switch engage. Right. No, that, that, is, <laughs> that not. is not, not only is it not the gin blossoms in a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's It's like... This is the gin blossoms if they at all had their parents killed. Yeah, yeah. It is actively aggressive. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it is there. Yeah, most people, and especially like when you do start to listen to that, you know, whether it's like punk hardcore, like the the stuff that you can't, you can play for most people and they're really not going to know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Like even if you're talking about like the most, one of the most, you know, mainstream bands where it's just like, hey, let's listen to a band like Rise Against where it's like, you know, Tim's got some yelling in there. Right. But like for most people, it's just like, ooh, pretty abrasive. Right. Can't can't follow along with that. Yeah. I also, so I had a lot of just sad days in my career and I need a way to deal with that. Uh, and so like, if you are, I remember that my locker was next to, uh, Stephen Hunter in Phoenix and Stephen Hunter kind of lived a weirdly charmed life where he didn't care that much about basketball. He didn't treat his body very well. He would like roll in with McDonald's breakfast before practice (laughs) and he would just make $3 million a year, year after year after year for being like a backup center. Cause like, again, I'm not tall for the NBA. He was plenty tall he's like seven feet tall sure and so like i don't know how sad he was a lot because like it just kept working year he's like i don't know yeah live somebody gives me three million dollars just i just got another contract he wasn't he's the opposite of me he was not like a kid who was like i love basketball because it takes my like angst away and i'll shoot for three hours he's just like i gotta i gotta calm my mind how life is yeah (laughs) right so i don't (laughs) think he needed the like uh the toadies to yeah. get him through the day. He, no, no. 
<laughs> I really like these these examples that you're pulling yes. out. It's a nice little uh, nice little uh, stew to the mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, and so uh, you know I presume like as you were you know going around like you were saying there's a lot of you know low moments where you're just like you know like is this the thing that I'm still going to continue to do in the same way that you know most uh, you know bands go through where mm-hmm. it's just like either it's the breakup of one thing the fact that their newest record didn't sell as well as their old one like all of those those right. those business mechanics that you have to go through mm-hmm. um and so like you know as you started to think about you know what your life would look like obviously beyond just the fact where it's like yeah i, I like i've obviously been doing basketball for a long time but like what does that mean obviously like you were saying you're writing music all these other things you already kind of you know mm-hmm. doing in your head already right um did you feel that sort of identity crisis of like oh my gosh like if I'm not known as this thing, like what am I going to be known as? Oh, certainly. I, and what was alarming to me was that I, because I was always the smart guy, I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, people are telling me that I'm going to have like two years of depression to deal with when basketball is over. But okay. like, I'm aware of that. So it won't hit me. And then when basketball was over, I sure enough, two years, <laughs> two of years depression. right, right there, <laughs> did therapy. The, my therapist at the time said that, I was eerily reminiscent of like a 70 year old man who has retired from state farm okay. and has just looked up and he's like, uh, Oh, what am I? Right. Uh, so even though I had kind of tried my best to stay attached to other stuff outside of basketball, in reality, I really was connected to my self-worth is determined by how good I am at this sport. Like right. I have dumped it all into this. So these ancillary you know, sidelines are nice, but like there wasn't people the focal are gonna, point. Yeah, right, what people yeah, are yeah. going to care about is whether I'm good at basketball. Sure. And so the, yeah, that meant I, I, I spent a long time thinking about, well, what, who am I, if not my job? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, fortunately I had, you know, that gig we talked about earlier, writing about music for ESPN and I had yep. this burgeoning writing career to kind of lean on. And I think in a lot of ways that was a nice little buffer. The problem was it left me with a lot of time because I was again doing the same sort of career I had done before right. where I was left with determining my own fate. I probably should have just like gone to work at some sure engineering firm or something for two years to just like, or why didn't she, why didn't she do the uh, obvious, the sideline reporter? Why didn't she do the, uh, the on camera gig? That's what everybody does, right? Well, that's tragic, what the smart guys do. Tragic news out of Phoenix this week. An <laughs> online reporter has blown his brain on yeah. camera. Right. Right. Like if I had to report about basketball, I don't, I, can, I haven't watched a full NBA basketball game in like three years. Right. Cause at that point when I was like 32 or 33, I'd had enough. Yeah, totally. You're like, I've shoved enough of this stuff in my head. No more. Right. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I was, there were a lot of those sorts of like rumblings like, hey, what? Do you ever think about coaching? Oh, no, it hadn't crossed my mind. Like that, the most obvious thing <laughs> totally. to do. The linear no path that most did. I have do. never thought of that. Right. Thank you for that suggestion. Thank you, thank you for your Division three right. uh, assistant coaching offer. Right, I appreciate right. that. Uh, so, yeah, I think I was, like, cursed because I had enough money to survive for, like, three years. Right. So I did not make enough money to survive. For right, to long, retire. Sure. Like I had enough where I could kind of be like, well, you know, I don't have to work that hard for like three years. And so that was good because it gave me freedom to travel and to like live my life. But I think it also meant that it was easier to kind of sink into, mm-hmm. I don't know who I am anymore. Right, right. Yeah. What, what corner am I looking right. around here? <laughs> I'm fortunate now because I'm super poor and there's no backup plan. So that sure. means I'm very hooked up to like, there's no time to just sit around and feel sorry for myself. Totally. You're like, go. Yeah. You're like, I'm, I'm hit this. <laughs> uh, last two things I want to hit on was the, um, you know, did you, 
obviously you did not have time to play in bands yourself. Like clearly mm-hmm. that was being devoted <laughs> right. to basketball. Right. Um, but like, did you, was there ever that, like, especially as music, like you were saying, you know, came to you, Mm -hmm. the, the more in-depth knowledge of it came after college and stuff like that. Was there that notion of like, man, it would have been cool to start a band. It, there was certainly that notion. I think that, uh, I was aware though, that I just was nowhere close to good enough. Sure. Um, I think. I think that's part of why I hold music in such esteem. Okay. Because it seems so confusing to me. Sure. Like just <laughs> right. baffling. Sure. Like how Whereas people could like, look at basketball for you and be right, like, right, yeah. dude, how do you do that? So I think, thankfully, <laughs> I've always been able to hold on to this childlike wonder of mm-hmm. how music is put together and arranged and all of that. Right. Um, I mentioned this girlfriend I had who uh, played in a band that was based out of Brooklyn. And like one time she took me to their rehearsal space. Uh-huh. And I was like, hey, you know, try playing my bass. And I remember just being like, <laughs> I had no idea that these strings were so hard. Yeah. This like, is, my fingers hurt. These are thick. You, how do you do this? I can't make my thing. <laughs> so, and then, and then I think we were talking about Riley Breckenridge yep. uh, from Thrice earlier. Like seeing him drum yeah close and being like i don't know how you can make your legs and your arms right do that right they're so all things are to do- me yeah. it's 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 like magic and i think i'm i'm actually really happy that i've never i've not lost sight of that you know it yeah. still remains magical in a lot of ways i saw uh cut copy you know the band mm-hmm. copy. yeah yeah they were here uh, a couple weeks ago and one of those shows where the opening band was so bad that mm-hmm. i thought Maybe I don't like live music. Maybe I've deluded myself. <laughs> maybe I've ran into this yeah. wall now. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. Like maybe I was, maybe I just like tell myself this story and then cut cape, cut copy came on and they were so good. Oh, I love that. It just like in one of those transformative, cause those guys are pros now. You they know, know what whatever, they're doing. Five yeah. albums. They're old enough to, to like know exactly. They're what adults. To, yeah. yeah to, <laughs> to hit about it. And, and I was so lost in it and like so many ideas came to me and that's what I mean. It just like, it's, it's such a magical experience. And I think part of that is because I'm so bad at playing music that it, it's not even a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. No, Which that's cool. cool. I, 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 I really like that notion. Cause I think a lot of people, especially when you get so involved in music, whether it's like, you know, working at record labels, like a lot of people, mm-hmm. anytime and you could apply this across any creative pursuit, anytime you are making money off the thing that is the art, right? It, you know, in the same way that you can argue that about athletics as well, where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. athletics is a form of art as well, that you will, you will end up hating it in some capacity. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And, and you will, and you want to, sometimes you, like you were saying, that, put that distance between you where it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll never be able to do that, but like, I'm going to appreciate the hell out of it. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that's like what, uh, in, uh, in Almost Famous, you mm-hmm. know, the, the sort of proto Cameron Crow right, character. Right. I think that you could make the case that like Cameron Crow has, has done that, right? He totally. was able to stay in love with music, even though right. he was really close to it for a right. long time. And that's, that is pretty hard to do, especially when you're writing about it because yeah. you're just inundated with the various, totally the mechanics of mechanics it. Yeah. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like being actively disengaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has like, there've been, there've definitely been times where like, not that many. A lot of the yeah. a lot of the times that I've interviewed musicians or bands, it's been fun or informative or mm-hmm. I- in some way elucidating. But like, there are times when you get behind the scenes and you're like, "Oh, I didn't really want to know that." It's a little dark. <laughs> a little dark. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Or like, I didn't know that guy was. Con- I didn't want to know he was a dick, right? A right. dick, or just like kind of checked out, or like doesn't is not doesn't care, right? You know, 
Well, like, yeah, like what's happening right now is not even happening to him. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I like one time <laughs> I interviewed uh, one of the members of the Dandy Warhols. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. And uh, and she was it's Pia McCabe. I okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she was so great about being willing to talk about like what we were just talking about earlier, aging. This was kind of late in their career, mm-hmm. and like, do I keep doing this? I've got kids now, um, and so an interview like that. I actually take a lot away from that because I'm thinking about those same things. Totally. Uh, I once interviewed uh, one of the members of this band called Sun or Sun O. They're of this, course, like, Greg doom, Anderson and all. Yeah, Southern Metal Lord. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that that guy was one of the five smartest people I've ever talked to. So intelligent. Like, yeah. Crazy, crazy smart. Had really, I was, I had kind of like composed some questions that I thought were interesting. And one of them was like, now when you look back at like your older albums, is there a part of you that is a little bit sad that you already put that out because now musically you're better than you were then. So sure. maybe you could have done that more justice. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, no, because I look at him like an album of photographs and that's who I was at that time. Right. And so therefore it should be appreciated at that time for what it was. And I think that has allowed me to like look at my own writing mm-hmm. in a different way where it's, I can look back at something and be like, oh, that's a snapshot of who cool I was piece. at yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have anything to, not it has something to do with who i've become but it mm-hmm. doesn't have everything right to do with that which i think is a healthy way to look at creative pursuits absolutely yeah it's like that that's like the brick on that street that i built that is my metaphorical life like yeah, yeah. Like, that's just a portion of that thing right and so i think what's fascinating about like an interview like that is if you just saw that band come out and play the heaviest music totally you've ever heard you would never have assumed that this is a super smart guy, right? Mm-hmm. Until you start to understand that, like, to make music like that, you have to be, of course, super smart. Like, you can't. Totally. There's no in between. How do you how do you keep a per, one person engaged for an 18 minute song right. of like the lowest low end you could possibly met? Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the uh, you know the fact that you you know you 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 still actively are engaged in music. You still champion new bands you find and stuff like that. Gaslight Anthem, you know, being one of them, even though they're obviously arguably not new anymore mm-hmm. um but you know what what sort of uh, i guess records or you know live experiences that you know it doesn't even have to be within like oh give me your you know top 10 2018 or whatever but like you know right. the past whatever five or seven years where it's like wow they've been you know really transformative you pushed you know your thinking in different ways and that sort of stuff so and i always hate I, putting people on the spot but no, I, no, I, i'm I, okay with being put on the spot <laughs> but i don't know that you're gonna like my answer because i've been okay. listening to a lot of country music lately that's okay and I think that a lot of the fun that I valued from, like, I love Def Leppard. Mm-hmm. Like, love. Yeah, yeah. No shame in that game. And there's there aren't any rock bands that are making Def Leppard type of music. But That's I think true. there are country musicians who are doing that, which is not new. Like, lots of people before me have said this. Yeah. Um, but even the, like, annoying country that people... The country pop or whatever, hate, sure. Like the Florida Georgia Line and all that. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a lot of that that I'm really enjoying <laughs> these days. And I think it's because I'm I'm so done with like indie music. Okay. Like there's nothing left. That mm-hmm. that <laughs> genre sure. has become a parody of itself and I don't need any more of it. Uh, sure. So I'm listening to a lot of country but also like the Brothers Osborne, you know, this okay, country yeah, yeah. band mm-hmm. like it's two brothers from wherever they're from. Sure. Um and they're so good and of course Sturgill Simpson and Chris Stapleton, yeah, those yeah, sorts yeah. of guys. Like Do you like Jason Isbell? Yeah, yeah, but so I liked him more when he was in the drive-by truckers. Fair I enough. like yeah, yeah, yeah. he's 
he's actually gotten a little bit on my nerves. Are you a big fan? I enjoy, I do enjoy him, but it definitely seems like because of, because now so many people are paying attention to him that mm-hmm. it's, it, it, he resides in this interesting world where he's like, I don't want to be like, he himself doesn't want to be as big as he is. Yeah. But I don't know. It's just a weird. Dichotomy. Well, yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where I guess the world always needs sort of a Jason Isbell, just like it always needs a Madonna. Sure. Jason Isbell's good-ish, mm-hmm. but like one of his albums won a Grammy, and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, no, no. I, it's I, like good right. music, but he like when he was in the Drive By Truckers, they were so good, totally. And now they are not as good. You do, yeah. There's there's definitely <laughs> uh, there's definitely the element of like where you feel like people. I mean, especially when you're talking about Grammys and stuff like that. That t- you know, Grammys take a good you know five to seven years for them to be like, oh, this musical genre is popular. Right, right. <laughs> so like, I think like Sturgill Simpson's way better than Jason. Fair Isabel, enough. Sure, like, sure, Jason sure. Isabel also plays the game better and has been around. Yep. A little Fair enough. Longer. Totally. Totally. Uh, so yeah. anyway, yes, I'm weirdly listening to a lot of country. Sure. Uh, and I think that just maybe has something to do with aging and being tired of like the, the, the world doesn't need any more fleet foxes. No, no, we're good. Or, yeah, yeah, totally. Or, yeah, they, like the, the, the really pensive singer songwriter stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, I mean, especially when it's coming from, um, you know, when it's coming from like a singular voice, it's like, you know, like I love Justin Vernon and Bon Iver. Like, mm-hmm. he, yeah, so well, just that's they're great, but again, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. Do I need more than three Bon Iver albums? Mm-hmm. Lifetime? I'm not sure. Sure. Do you? I, I, I will always follow him. Just because I feel like, especially what he's doing now, where it's just like, I mean, mm-hmm. since he's made his own weird empire up in northern, you know, it's like, right. I, I just, I, I look at that and I'm like, that is so cool that it's like, you know, his friend is his manager. And like, I, I'm mm-hmm. more interested in the narrative at this point. And then right. I'm not, not more interested in the narrative because I still really enjoy him. But like what he does musically is just so like, he's just like, yeah, you liked all my old stuff. Like you're going to hate this record. <laughs> you're going to absolutely hate this record. So yeah. to, I guess to your point. I technically don't need any more actual music, but like, I'm always interested to see what he's going to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I, so I, I think where I land would be, I want more. Yes. I want more people uh, changing things. Like I loved, uh, crystal castles. Do you know that man? Yeah. 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 Uh, and then the lead singer left and there's a lot of like weirdness there, but yes. like bands like that, that are like trying to idiot pilot that we talked about earlier was kind of uh, an early version of this. Like they're really trying to push things a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's harder and harder all the time to find those bands. It's true. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a band, you know, the LA band Health. Mm-hmm. Such a great live show. Very good. Like, band. I would see them, you know, every other week if I could. Right. Uh, so I want things that are like, stimulating in a new and different way. Yeah. I think it's just that there's, there's just this like huge KCRW rush of like, yeah. Um, so I don't want there to be any more back albums. That's enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it is interesting because I, I do think that there, a lot of the times I think I find myself not listening to it. And this is like total like record store nerd opinion, mm-hmm. but it's like there are many records like Phoebe Bridgers is an example. Oh. Her record I love, mm-hmm. but it, that record came out, whatever, 2017. took me a year to be like, I'll, uh, maybe I'll listen to it. It was <laughs> yeah, only after yeah. friends were like, dude, you'll actually like this. And I'm like, right. I don't know. I don't know if I need yeah, to sing a like, Yeah, it's just hard to separate yourself in that world because it it's is. so there's a, the newest um, Sylvan Esso album mm-hmm. is so good. Yeah, yeah. But like I wouldn't have 
listened to that. Right. Except that it just like you're saying, enough people it's totally finally it reaches said critical it. mass where you're, yeah, like, you're like, All right, okay, fine. Okay, fine, fine, right. Begrudging listen <laughs> totally. this wonderful album by right. Sylvanesso. <laughs> and then yeah, that it's like cause you and I know that because you think you th- you and I have similarities from that perspective where it's just like this record probably isn't for me. Like I'm not yeah. a, I'm not a twenty three year old, like, you know, making it in Silver Lake or whatever. Like right, I just right. know that it's not that's not for me. But right. then only through other people being like, you know, you actually like this and then yeah. Who uh who's your most annoying current musician because I'll, I'll give you my answer and we'll see where yours goes. Yeah, I, I would love I that. I can't stand Father John Misty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally get that. Because, like, I don't like <laughs> the sort of tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. cynicism with my music. Yep. I actually want, like, childlike... That's why I love Def Leppard, right? Well, sure. Like, you can't be a cynic no. and love Def Leppard. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no. nothing Unapologetic, about yeah, yeah. Joe Elliott. Like, he's just in it because <laughs> yeah. he loves it. Right? Loving it, right. And I think I, that's what I want more from my music is sure. sort of hopefulness or whatever. And I think, like, that kind of... Cake was always kind of like that, too. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I know you're in on the joke, but, like... yeah. <laughs> Right. No, no, it's a, that, that, like that, that, that line is that, I mean, cake is definitely more, um, uh, they're, I mean, they're, they're definitely both self-aware and especially father. I mean, father John Misty is more performative, I feel Mm -hmm. than like what cake ever was, even though cake was, you know, obviously in on the joke, like what you're talking about. But, uh, yeah, no, I, they, yeah, the, the, the tongue firmly planted in cheek is just like, yeah, I don't like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't need, like, I don't need this, you know, the, the immersion of, comedy performance art and indie rock like you know who's like surprisingly not i guess it's not surprising Uh but um i saw the hold steady i think a year ago for the first time yeah yeah. like that dude great fan he just he kills it well yeah he's interesting because he's able to sing about like darkness and sadness but he's also so positive and hopeful at the same time yeah you know and like love seems to truly love his audience and yeah yeah thanks for being here and like you're like yeah thank you i appreciate that right yeah and it doesn't seem (laughs) like he's just making it up uh yeah yeah it is it is fun when you realize that there's still room to see some of these bands like the hold steady has been around forever totally and i got on them late but you could still jump on that wagon and and they'll still kill it totally totally in the same way that you could like someone could attend a andrew wk show right now and still (laughs) be like yeah yeah i want to party hard absolutely yeah Yeah. (laughs) have you seen speaking of uh partying hard bands (laughs) in orange county do you know the band fu manchu oh yes yes they just do such a great live show they don't ever they i worked at uh century media records for a long time and Mm -hmm. we put out a couple of fu manchu records and so i became friendly with their management and stuff like that and i got into like the whole stoner rock thing in like early 2000s with bands like high and fire and caius and all that Mm -hmm. stuff so i retroactively was like oh wow there's all this like you know high desert scene and whatever but then watching fu manchu i was just like Man, these guys like these talk about Peter Pan syndrome. Like mm-hmm. these dudes just want to shred skate parks yes. and just like drink beers. And I'm like, and like that, but that is like who they actually are, as opposed to I like, know. okay, like I guess we'll put on this show still. Yeah, what's kind of cool about them, like they're they're sort of ridiculous. Like he always wears still got the long stringy blonde hair. <laughs> totally he wears like polo shirts. Yes, and seems to not care at all what he looks like. But I'm sure that's a little affected. Absolutely. Uh, yet, <laughs> because I think they started so young, they're not that old yet. No, I mean they're like not. 30. Yeah, they're not spring chickens, but right. yeah, but like they can still do it because they've been doing it for so long. But they started so young, totally, right? and so it still has a lot of the same, uh, I guess, immediacy. Because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, it's not pathetic. It's not like no, it's not no like dudes that are just trying some to like shell on. of yourself. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there seems like a, a true like legitimacy there, which I and I th- and I think too to your point where like the 
it really like when you are still deliberately playing the very lot, like when you are still playing different shades of the music that you have always been mm-hmm. doing, where it's just like, yeah, man, large guitar, large, large, very loud guitars in your face. Like, yeah, yeah. In a club in Costa Mesa, which is, I've seen them in like three times in Costa Mesa. It's great. And the it's, Wayfair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like their home base. It is, totally. It's like, don't it's play just, there, they'll play the Troubadour. Like, right. they'll do that, that circuit, like, twice a year, they'll be yeah. fine. But it's just dudes outside with those weird vans. Yep. And, like, ladies with a lot of mediocre tattoos. <laughs> totally. Very faded. Not right. like Silver Lake tattoos. No, 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 no. Tattoos. Like pseudo biker tattoos. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, it, thinking of like the musical, the only musical thing that I, uh, I always try to identify like what makes me feel old. Cause like mm. when I have a seven year old child mm. and he, uh, he's like super into like soundtracks. So it's like oh. we sing Beauty and the Beast like all day long. Mm, okay. And so like I'm stoked on that because it's something that like I obviously tangentially was aware of, but like now I have a deeper appreciation of it. But like the, the thing, and I always think about like, what is he going to eventually bring home that I'm going to have no context for? Uh, yeah. So like, you know, like whatever he could bring home the insane clown posse tomorrow. And I'll be mm. like, yo, I've seen them before. Like right. I know Fago and I like, I, I get it. Uh-huh. So I, I'm always trying to pay attention where it's just like, whatever, obviously like the SoundCloud rap stuff and like, you know, all of that stuff where it's like, even though I musically, I don't identify with any of it. Mm-hmm. I, that's the stuff where I would just be like, Oh yeah. Like that makes me feel old because obviously mm-hmm. I'm not a, you know, 19 year old. Right. And so like that, that is what I, I think I try to pay attention to more rather than, I think the annoying stuff I just mm-hmm. push aside so quickly where I'm like, it's not for me. Like right. it's just not, it's not for me. Right. So I think that that's the one where I really try to pay attention to. Um, just, yeah. Like as you get older where you're just like, yeah, what is the thing that makes me feel old? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're so keyed into it, it. It could be that. So Patton Oswalt talks about how like it's your responsibility to not be a cool dad. God, so, one of my favorite bits. So that love you that. can have cool kids. Totally. You may be destined to have uncool kids because you're a I, cool dad. I, well, I appreciate that compliment, yes. but it, 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 it I can't say that that joke hasn't affected me. Like mm-hmm. it's, I, I've been like, man, like, you know, he, he's, he's aware I play in a band. Like he's seen my band play before. And like, mm-hmm. I, but I'm, I, I, the fact that he does not like it at all. Cause it's like, yeah, it's loud. It's daddy screaming. And I'm like, right, right. yeah, I back that. I want you to hate that. Cause otherwise mm-hmm. if you think it's cool, then like you're going to end up being this like weird vert. Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I don't, I, yeah. But it's a scary thing when yeah. you, when you, when you were looking at it from the, through the prism of like, Oh yeah, what is this person going to bring home that I just don't understand? Because mm-hmm. it'll eventually come. Like, and it's or going to happen. Yeah. yeah, or the same way where it's just like when you're tripping across something on you know Spotify, where it's just like, oh, but this algorithm is spitting it out at me, and you're like, mm-hmm. what the hell is this? Like, why does it think well, I like this? Right, it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Well, Paul, this has been very fun. I appreciate you hanging out. Of course, <laughs> and, and allowing me into your home. Yes. <laughs> oh boy, was that so much fun or what? I really, really enjoyed that chat with Paul. He, uh, yeah, just, just a great guy. Shout out to my mutual friends, John Cohen and Riley Breckenridge, who, uh, you know, kind of told me about Paul and, you know, kind of not hyped him up, but told me like, uh, you know, made me aware of this person. And, uh, yeah, John Cohen was the, uh, the, the main person who, uh, kind of pushed this interview into existence. And I was very, very pleased about that. So anyways, and also thank you to Paul, right? Thank you very much for coming on the show. Next week is the launch of this kind of project that I've had in my head for a while called Be Specific. It is uh, discussions with people in independent music that are uh, just going to be very directional and specific. They're talking about, you know, numbers and we're talking about really specific memories that people have. Because, you know, I think a lot of these these discussions in and around independent music, especially when you're talking about the sort of business side of things, people shy away from, you know, using numbers. And I get it. Sometimes it's just weird to talk about finances when it comes to 
real life and when it comes to, you know, combining art and commerce. But anyways, I found some of my friends to take me down some of their experiences. And I I found every single one of these to be enlightening, engaging. And I found out stuff that I just didn't know in general. And I was educated and I loved it. So the guest next week is Shane Told. He is the vocalist for Silverstein. And we had a great discussion about why they still exist as a band as far as their the business side of things. Um, Some really, really specific moments in the band's life where, uh, you know, things were, were going really well. And, uh, you know, I mean, they still are going well, but like when it was like, oh my gosh, you know, we're making a lot of money in merch tonight or whatever. So anyways, that is the launch of that next week. And, uh, I'm going to encourage you to tell a lot of your friends about that. So, uh, yeah, you can preemptively start telling your friends now be like, yo, this series is gonna be great. But anyways, that's what we got next week until then, please be safe, everybody. And don't forget, you have to check out Lupe Fiasco's new record, Drogas Wave. It is available everywhere now. And I love it so much, okay? Like, Lupe Fiasco is a great artist, but you need to check out this new record. Even if you've not listened to the past couple records of his, you will love this one, okay? It's available everywhere now on all of your favorite streaming services, okay? Now, for real. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. 